Thank you so much for being here this morning. And we just want to continue in this new uh, sermon series. And next week we start a brand new sermon series. But we want to uh, finish up this sermon uh, series this morning on called on the subject of marriage matters. And so you know if you've been with us over the last several weeks that we've been looking at the issue of, of marriage. And we've been looking at this issue of, of issues between husbands and wives. And, and we've laughed a lot together about how God's wired us and the differences. And, and so and we've looked at parenting because... Because we know this, that the way that God has wired us affects the relationship. We know that parenting can affect our relationship as we navigate through life and we discipline children and we raise children and all of that. And then all of a sudden we come to a section of Scripture because this is the largest section of Scripture in the New Testament that start to finish is about this issue of marriage and about this issue of the home. And then all of a sudden we come to this group of Scripture and Jesus starts, or, or Apostle Paul starts talking about this issue of your job. And how your job and how your profession or how your career can affect your family. That it can impact your life, it can impact your family, it can affect your family in a negative way, it can impact your family in a positive way. And so when you just start looking at statistics, you find that, that in your lifetime, the average person will, will work 150,000 hours. In fact, is 40% of your waking hours will be spent at the, at the office or at a career, at a profession, a job, or however you want to phrase that. In 1973, the average work week was only 40 hours. Wouldn't you like a gig like that today? 1987, it came up to 46 hours was the average work week. Uh, today, the average work week uh, is about 52 hours a week. And then if you're a, prof a professional, a uh, small business owner or something like that, then the average work week can be 60 plus hours a week. In fact, is when you start looking at the statistics, you find that we spend more of our waking hours working than any other thing. We spend more of our waking hours working than we do eating or drinking or our, our weekend times, uh, hobbies. Uh, fact is, we spend more of our time working than all of our vacations combined in a lifetime. Fact is, 40% of our waking hours is spent in, at, at, at a job. And so it's a significant area of our life. And so what Paul is trying to help us understand that in marital relationships, in the marriage, in the home, that your job, your profession, your career, there's an impact. And it can be negative or it can be positive. And so in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 5 through 9, let me read these verses, and then I'm going to come back with just three principles, and we're going to um, move pretty quickly this morning because I took a little bit time, more time than, than, than usual about the issue of communion and the Lord's Supper. Hope that's okay with you. Uh, so uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5. So he goes, slave. So, okay, so let, let's just stop right there. Let's understand what he was referring to in their culture, in their time. He's talking about employees. He's talking about employers. See, in their day, that slaves were both blue-collar and white-collar workers. In the Roman culture, in the Roman Empire, there were over 60 million slaves, most of whom were, uh, were believers. And so they were blue-collar uh, workers, and they were white-collar workers. They were professional uh, people, and so you would have slaves that were, were, were doctors and, and, and attorneys and uh, uh, accountants and, and school teachers, and, and then you also had slaves that did, did manual labor. You had both. You had both blue-collar and white-collar. Uh, large landowners would have, like, their small business would, would, would be run by slaves, and so they would run the bookkeeping, and they'd run the operation, and so... so so he's referring to both employees and he's referring to both employ and, and employers as well. 
So here's what the scripture says. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as, wow, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not just men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free, and masters. So he spoke to employees, and now he shifts, and he begins talking to employers or, or business owners or people that would are managers or supervisors. So he says, uh, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So three principles this morning. Now listen, this first principle has gotten a lot of people in trouble. So, so when, I, when I tell you this first principle, no elbowing, no looks, you know, no returning you know, looks or anything like that. Because you know, Saturday night service, the looks were so strong, the comments were so strong, I almost had to end the sermon and just start marriage counseling. So <laughs> no, I'm serious. You think I'm joking? I am dead serious. It was, it was quite fun. And so, so here's the deal. So before I tell you this first principle... Everybody look straight ahead. Do not flinch. No elbows, no comments, no, listen, no deep breathing because we know, right? I mean, we know the way if your breathing pattern changes. We know he's mad, she's mad, whatever. Okay, you guys ready? All you need to bring home from work is you. All you need to bring home from work, all you need to bring home from your day, all you need to bring home from your profession... Some of you are looking. I, I'm telling you, all you need to bring home from work is you. See, the focus is written to employees and to employers. And, and so we know this, right? I mean, you know this, that your job can highly affect your family. Your job, your profession, your career, the people that you, that you spend your day with and working. Because, you know, for a lot of us, some of us, we spend more time during the day, more time of our waking hours during the week, during the work week, than we do with the people that we live with a lot of times. And so you know this, right? That your work life, your profession can affect your family positive. And, I mean, you know what? If you have some positive conversations during the day and the day goes well, then you know what? That kind of bleeds over to the family, right? But, wow, if you have some negative conversations, if you deal with that difficult person, that that can negatively affect or you're dealing with a negative situation that if you're not careful, that can negatively impact your family, right? That you can walk in the door in such a way that you don't have to announce that you're fa to your family that, that you're angry and you've had a tough day and you better give me a wide berth and all of that other stuff. They just know why because they can see it on your face. They know you've had a tough day. And it's so convicting to dads. But here a while back there was a survey done with children. And they asked the kids this question. They asked them, if you could change one thing about your family, one thing about your parents, what would it be? You know, the number one question was, uh, the number one answer to the kids' uh, answer to that question was this. Why does dad come home from work so angry? Why, when he has a bad day, do we need to be careful? I mean, your job in my job. I mean, listen, I'm not, I'm not walking through these passages 
just like someone that's been a pastor all of his life and worked around a, a bunch of Christians and, and doesn't have a real view of the real world. I mean, I spent 15 years in the engineering world before ministry, and then kind of my second life, 16, 17 years, have, have, have been in, in ministry and been in the church. And so I've, I've been where you're at. I've, I've dealt with some of those issues. And, and so, so if you're not careful, and if I'm not careful, because see, I struggle with this too. If I'm not careful, and if you're not careful, you can, you can kind of have this bleed over in your life to where all of a sudden you find your identity, and this is actually difficult with men. It is more difficult with men than it is women, that you begin to find your identity in what you do. A turning point in my ministry and a po turning point in my life is that, that when I realize, regardless of what people think of me at church, Regardless of what those people think of me that are criticizing me and all that other stuff, my family's still going to love me. I mean, my kids, they're, they're not asking, hey, Dad, how'd you perform today? They, you know what? They don't care. Listen, my job is not who I am. My job is not my life. Your identity it's not in what you do, it's in whose you are. And this is what Paul is trying to get us to understand. And listen, if you're not careful, if I'm not, because, listen, there have been, you know, and I still, we all struggle with this. Hopefully I'm not the only one, right? Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes I bring people home with me from the office. Not physically, but emotionally, right? Sometimes I bring people home with me into the home. Not physically, but emotionally. Sometimes I bring situations home with me. And your transition and my transition is so important. And to get that, to understand that, we got to understand that my job is not who I am. My identity is not in what I do. My identity is not in that image. I mean, you know, and there's, there's some people that it is, right? And you, you kind of hear them. They kind of introduce themselves, and then they quickly say what they do. I mean, I don't run around saying, hey, I'm Charlie, and I'm a, I'm a senior pastor. Well, sometimes I do when, uh, <laughs> when I'm playing golf, and they paired me up with, with someone that's a non-Christian. And I usually wait till like, hole six or seven, and they've been cussing and, you know, stuff like that. And especially if they're doing well. <laughs> and I'm like, so what do you do? And they'll tell me, because I know what's coming next, right? It's only polite to, for them to ask me, what do I do? And so they say, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a pastor of the highest living God. <laughs> There's like no more cussing. They're losing balls, you know, no more drinking, no more of that stuff. And you know what they tell me a lot of times? It's so crazy just the dynamics with this. It is so crazy because a lot of times they'll tell me, uh, well, my second cousin on my father's side goes to church. <laughs> I went to church once. You know, I don't go into the home. I don't go home in the evenings and preach. Well, sometimes I do. And I've had to learn that, you know what? My family, 
is my family. They're not my parishioners. Listen, your family, they're not your customers. They're not your project. They are not your patients. And guess what? They are not your job site buddies. Man, they're your family. All you need to bring home from the office is you. And Paul begins to talk about this issue of of Christianity and this issue of of an attitude of 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 a Christian worker. And, you know, regardless, regardless of what happens at the office or during the day, when we understand that, you know what, our family's still going to be there. Our family's going to love us regardless of our press clippings. Regardless, because our identity cannot be found in our job. It is found in Christ. This is, this is just for free. And when I say that, I mean that maybe this is just for this service. But see, God, God broke me of this. When I'd been in engineering for 15, 16 years and we said yes to Pueblo and we came to Pueblo and, and I could no longer afford the things that we once were able to afford for my family. And you men get this, right? I mean, that, that's just how we're wired. And I realized that my identity was in more of what I did than whose I was at that time. And I still remember when our, when our daughter, Brittany, wanted to go back one more time to Houston, Texas and, and see my, my parents, her grandparents, and tell them goodbye one more time. And, and we couldn't afford to send her. And I remember those days. It was like depression. Because my identity was wrapped up in what I could provide for my family and how I could perform for my family. We had some friends that had called and said they really wanted to come see us because when you live in Texas and you move to Colorado, you get friends you didn't even know you had. (laughs) Right? I mean, like everybody wanted to come see us. Anyway. And so they called and said, we'd really like to come see you guys. And about that same time, our church that we left in Houston uh, called and said, we'd like to bring a youth group up to, to, uh, to do vacation Bible school or help. And so they came up and... And uh, we had this in the back of our minds that the Guggenheims wanted to come up and see us and, and uh, try to arrange that whole deal. And, and so they drive up. So the youth group comes up, and the, the youth pastor, Carl, tells me, says, Hey, weird deal. We got one seat left on the bus going back to Texas. And so Karen and I talked about it, and we, Karen called our friends from Texas that wanted to come see us and says, Could you schedule it in such a way we could put Brittany on that bus back to Texas for free? And, uh, and then you guys bring her back with you. You know what God taught me during that period? See, when your identity is work, wrapped up in what you do, when your identity is wrapped up in your, your profession, you think you've been providing for your family all those years. It's a lot of pressure. You know what God taught me? Charlie, I've been providing for you all along. Amen. Through your job through your profession and you begin to view your profession and you begin to view your job differently I'm telling you we just got to get this 
or less. You will never make the transition. And I know we live in a world that's hard. I know we, we live in a world with, uh, with cell phones and text messaging and email. It's like, it, it's on. It's like 24-7. But your identity is not in who you are. But a number of years a number of years back, I had the opportunity to, to raft through the Grand Canyon. And, and uh, man, it was just an unbelievable experience. It was just like survival. And so that was 10 days. And we're like in these rubber rafts. And there was two rafts and 15 people on each raft. And we had some river guides and all of that stuff. And we'd raft the whole day. And then we'd just throw our sleeping bags out on the bank of the, of the river and sleep. And then get up and do it all over again. And, you know, on day one... Uh, we had a guy that, that broke his leg, and so that was pretty interesting. And he had to stay with us the rest of the trip because once you're in, you're in. I mean, there's no getting out. And so he rafted, and so there's a lot of instructions and everything. And, but anyway, so most of them were just all strangers, and we got to know each other. And then as we built relationships, we started finding out what each other does. But it was so interesting, and it was so, it was, it was so freeing. And everybody talked about it on this trip. Because there were doctors, there were some federal judges on this trip, there were uh, some, some bridge workers from New York, there was, there was a pastor, me, there was a priest on this trip, and we came from all different backgrounds, but our relationship wasn't based upon what we did. We connected first relationally, and everybody talked about just how freeing that was of meeting each other in t-shirts and shorts and just, just trying to survive through, through the rapids. It was, it was also some interesting Dynamics. Fact is, uh, one of the greatest for me, one of the greatest experiences in preaching was is that before we went through Lava Falls, which Lava Falls is a forty foot drop, start to finish in a, in a raft, and it, it's pretty dangerous. And and so the night before at the campfire meeting, because we always plan the next day, all of a sudden they took a vote, and the vote was they wanted the priest and the pastor to do a worship service before we go through Lava Falls. <laughs> And so it's a crazy deal that when we went through the dangerous uh, rapids, that, that my raft was always, everybody wanted to be on the raft and really close to me because they figured yours will be the last to go down, <laughs> even if they weren't. And so, and so you know what, that next morning, I, this next morning, I did a service. We hiked into to Black Canyon and had this natural amphitheater. It was this cavern in the rocks. And, and uh, the, the, the Catholic priest, he did, he did communion because he says, that's what we're good at. And so... Uh, <laughs> So he did communion, and then I did what they would call the homily, what we would call the sermon, and we had all these people around, and it was just this huge connection. But you know how it started out is we connected first relationally, not based upon what we did. There's some attitudes in Scripture that the Bible says about how the Christian worker should, should have or some, some attributes. Here's the first one. I'll just give them to you. Uh, sincerity of heart, verse 5. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart. Man, just as you had obey Christ. Scripture teaches that when you're willing and I'm willing to come under the authority that God has placed over you, there is blessing. And that we're to obey them as long as they don't ask us to do something illegal, immoral, or that is against Scripture. In fact, is that word sincerity of heart? It means without duplicity. It means to be genuine. It means to be real. It means to do your job without any ulterior motives. That you just do your job as with sincerity of heart. The second attribute is this, is, is integrity. Integrity means this, that your life is integ in integrated as one. 
In other words, that you don't compartmentalize your life, that this is my church world, this is my spiritual life, this is my, my hobbies, this is how I act at home. Oh, and I act totally, di- I don't see the two connecting, and I act totally different at the office. And so he goes on and he says this, Obey them not only to win favor when their eye is on you. Now, understand, some of you have names for people like that at the office, right? For that person, you know, that's when the boss is around, they're a different person. For that person that's very complimentary of the boss when you know they really don't like them. For that person that when the boss shows up, that they're letting the boss know that they do all the work and all the stuff that they're doing. They're kind of backstabbing other people, right? You, got, you guys got some names for people like that, I think. Let's move on. So he says, don't do that. But like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, can you imagine? See, a lot of times when we talk about doing God's will, we we compartmentalize it out. Well, that's my spiritual life. I do God's will. Can you imagine this? Part of you and I doing God's will is in the workplace. It's how you conduct your... 40, 40% of your waking hours will spend at work. Don't you think God would like to use that? Don't you think that's a part of your testimony? And he says that you work in such a way that you understand that, you know what, I'm not working for men, and we'll get to that. I'm working for God. So it doesn't matter to me if my boss sees what I do or not. It doesn't matter to me whether he's in the room or she's in the room or she's not in the room does not matter to me because I'm a Christian and I'm a person of great integrity. And so it doesn't matter to me who's watching. What matters to me is I get this, I understand this, that guess what? I'm a follower of Christ and I am working for him. How about this? Another attribute is thoroughness. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward The Lord rewards. Do you realize the Lord will reward for your effort at work? The Lord is the one that rewards. Man, I'm telling you, we got to get this. we got to understand this. Ultimately, you are not providing for your family. Guess what? Ultimately, your job is not providing for your family. That's a superficial view of your career or of your profession. I mean, Scripture says this, that God gave you the ability to make wealth. God gave you the ability. In other words, there's no such thing as a self-made man and a self-made woman. Because here's the danger of that. If you believe and you think you're a self-made man or self-made woman, then you will worship your creator. That's where pride comes from. That's where all this other stuff comes from. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or whether he is free. In other words, you work with thoroughness. You work with integrity. The other one is joy because you know, verse 8, that the Lord will reward again everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. What Scripture says is there should be no separation. There should be no compartmentalization of our life. It should all be integrated into one. And we should understand that, you know what? God wants to use us in our career and our profession, whether it's in the home of raising kids and and running a household, whether it's it's an accountant or an attorney or a, uh, uh, a doctor or a nurse or a plumber or electrician. I'm telling you, 
the greatest workers should be believers. Believers should set the mark of integrity, of sincerity, of joy. Isn't there something captivating about that individual that does what they do because they like it and because they love it? And you may not even like that career. You may not even like that uh, profession. But because they have so much joy and and, and passion about it, it makes it attractive to you. Listen, I'm telling you, Christians should set the mark. Christians should set the mark of integrity, of honesty, of, 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 of giving a full day's work for a full day's pay. Everything that you and I do, and we've looked at this, is spiritual. Everything that you and I do is a part of our spiritual life. Regardless, I've, I've watched so many believers destroy their testimony in the workplace. They've lost the right just to even witness or invite someone to church. Because they way, the way they have conducted themselves, I will never forget, lived in Tyler, Texas for a period and, and uh, was at, at, at a junior college there in, in Tyler. My parents lived in Bay City, Texas, and, and I wrecked another car, <laughs> and, which happened often in those days. And so I needed another car, and so I called my dad. My dad's like, well, son, you know, you need to learn to buy a car on your own instead of me going with you. Go down to a car lot, pick out a car, call me. And so, so I bought a car for the very first time without him. And so I bought this bright and shiny yellow, black and yellow Camaro Z28. I'd all, I mean, I'd always wanted a Z28. Oh, and the reason that I chose this car lot, because the guy that sold me the car, that owned the car lot, uh, passed out Bibles at, our chur- at, at the church that I went to once. And so I thought, okay, this guy ought to be a spiritual guy. So I went, bought a car from him. Well, I had the car for a few weeks and realized it was not a Z28. It just had stickers saying it was. There's like a Z28 anyway. But I paid for a Z28. I held on to that car for a couple of years, and I wanted to get rid of it because it wouldn't go fast enough and whatever. And, and so I, I took it back and said, I want to trade this car in for something. And he goes, well, you know, that car is really not a Z28. I go, well, you sold it to me as a Z28. And he looked at me and says, you know what? All's fair in trading cars. That destroyed my image of, of a believer and of a Christian. There's a lot of believers that because of how they have acted in the workplace, man, they have destroyed their testimony because they've compartmentalized it out. But then I know other believers because of how they've conducted themselves have had a great ministry of giving people hope and healing because they did life at a different level. They did life with or their work life with sincerity and integrity and thoroughness and joy. In other words, they appreciated their job because they understood it was God providing for them and providing for their family. Scripture talks about there's different motivations that you and I can have for a job. You can have an external motivation for a job. An external motivation is this, that an individual works for, uh, for a paycheck, uh, for a bonus, for the vacation, for 
the, the person works for some things that are external that is tied to a paycheck or the benefits for a better house, better car, better vacation, whatever. But it's external. In other words, they're motivated by that, but, but, it, this, but it won't last. So you can have an external motivation. You can have an internal motivation. An internal motivation would be this. You work because of what it does for you emotionally. Whether you find your purpose in that, whether it gives you fulfillment, whether it gives you joy. And so you can either work for it external or internal. But you know what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6? Paul says, you know how you should work? You should work with an eternal motivation. See, an eternal motivation, an eternal uh, perspective will get you through crisis will get you to understand that you are not what you do and, and you are not that. Your identity is in Christ and you lead totally different and you live totally different. Colossians 3.23 says this, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. As working for who? As working for the Lord. And just so we're clear, he comes back, not for men. An eternal motivation is understanding that, you know what? I am working for the Lord. I am not really working for men. Yes, he's put some people over me, but I am ultimately working for him. Since you know that you will receive an, a, a reward, an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. Isn't that crazy? The scripture says God is the one that will reward you. Then when you get that, that when you understand that, you know what? That will help you to understand a promotion, a raise. It's from him. It's from his hand. And he says that I will reward you not only in this world and in this time, but in the life to come. And he says, to remember again, he says the last sentence, it is the Lord Christ. Man, it's the Lord Christ that you are serving. That ultimately, man, I've watched people that are in difficult situations and in difficult circumstances, and they continued to serve in their job with integrity and with sincerity and wholeheartedly and joy. And I've watched God after a season elevate them and promote them and bless them. Jesus said this. Jesus says, man, if you're faithful with the little, I'll give you much. If you cannot be faithful with a little bit of responsibility, I promise you, you will not be faithful with a lot of responsibility. If you cannot be faithful with the little money, the little resources, you will not be faithful with a lot of money and a lot of resources. Second thing is this, and we're going to move really quickly through these. For some reason, I just felt like sitting there this morning. Second principle was this. Every worker needs a bonus plan. Because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. In other words, nothing is overlooked by God. And the Bible teaches that God is the one that will ultimately reward. And so the wise employer, the wise supervisors, the wise uh, leaders in an organization, they truly appreciate those that work for them way more, way deeper than a paycheck. Yes, we can see a paycheck is this. A paycheck is rewarding someone for their performance. It's rewarding someone and they should be paid well. And it's rewarding someone for the quality of their work or the product that they're delivering. But deep appreciation is this. 
when you deeply appreciate them. Instead of always finding something that they're doing wrong and criticize them over that, but you, you learn to compliment them and you learn to encourage them and you learn to treat them differently than other people because encouragement is so very important in our life. And I'm telling you, there is something different about the individual that gets that and understands that, that our encouragement needs to go way deeper than a paycheck. But it's to compliment them and to encourage them. The last thing is this, that every boss has a boss. I mean, sometimes I think we forget that. But it's just so crazy. Verse 9, and he turns to masters or, or business owners or supervisors or, 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 or managers. And he said, and masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. I mean, in our culture now, we don't beat people with whips, right? But boy, I know people that beat those that work for them with their mouth. And they devalue them and they degrade them. And they threaten them. You know what he's saying? Don't do that. Since you know that he is both their master and yours in heaven. And there's no favoritism with him. In other words, you know what he's saying? Everyone's accountable to God. Everyone has a boss. Everyone will give an account. You'll give an account for the way that you worked with integrity and sincerity and joy and thoroughness and all of that other stuff. And, and you didn't become bitter at the organization and bitter at the management and bitter at your company and all of that other stuff. And those that lead you, those that are over you, those that supervise you, the Scripture says that they'll be held accountable. But there's something about tough seasons in, in the workplace that are a learning experience to us of how to love those that are unlovable, how to love those that are difficult. And sometimes God uses those people to knock some things off in our life as we mature. You know, Paul is saying, your profession, your career, is a part of your spiritual life. It's bigger than just earning a paycheck, buying a house, and buying some cars, providing for, a for, for retirement. Ultimately, it's about the spiritual destiny of men and women that you come in contact with. As you bow your heads with me and close your eyes, let me ask you this morning, what is God saying to you as a result of this message? You know, deeper than that, how, how are you going to respond? How does God want you? Not how do I want you to respond. Not how does your husband or your wife want you to respond, your kids. How does God want you to respond as a result of this message? You need to learn what it means to, to just let it go. And The only thing that you bring home in the evenings is you. You just need to maybe realize this morning that God is the one that has provided for you. It's a spiritual act of worship the way that we go through our day. How does God want you to respond? Because his word demands a response. Maybe you need to forgive some people. Maybe you need to forgive a supervisor, an organization that you feel has treated you so wrong. And remember, one day they'll give an account because every boss has a boss.